0: Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm Hamad Kalaj and I'm an AWS community builder and software developer at Zero and One. Today I'm joined with Mesa. Uh, Mesa, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hello, uh, Muhammad. Uh, thank you for having me on this podcast. So my name is uh, Mesa Ajjan, and uh, I'm an author. Uh, I'm a journalist. I uh, I've been covering the startup tech ecosystem since b- broadly since uh, roughly since 2015 2014 2015 and I've seen it uh grow and expand and then I've seen it uh, shrink to its current uh, size and I've I've seen it uh uh, go through so many changes. Um, I also cover social issues, uh, I work on uh, a humanitarian uh, crisis and uh, t- topics similar to that, women empowerment as well. But I, I think for today, technology would be our cornerstone of the conversation, no?
0: Yes, uh, you also used to work at An-Nahar before moving uh, to Arab yes,
1: News, right? Yes, I currently work for Arab News. I have written for uh, a number of publications like Wamda, The Entrepreneur, uh, a couple of times at The Daily Star before it shut down, and uh, uh, I did uh, write for An-Nahar. I was there the I was the technology editor at Al-Nahar for the technology section. I worked for around two years for Al-Nahar English before it shut down, Uh, another publication that shut down. And I moved to Arab News. And now I'm I'm a freelancer at Arab News, and I'm pursuing my master. Uh, I cover um, anything that's related to technology, uh, fintech, cryptocurrency, uh, anything of that sort, as well as economy and culture.
0: Okay, so while you were at Nahar, there was a column started called Startup City, where our other news outlet that did similarly the same about this. The expectation is to highlight local talents and optimistic businesses that would rise in Lebanon in the future. Why would a newsletter be interested in highlighting those startups exactly? And why hasn't been like an index to track if a startup is currently operating at the current time or not?
1: You mean uh, a newspaper, right? Not a newsletter. (laughs) Yes, Um, a newspaper. Newspaper. So yeah, uh, it's the responsibility of every newspaper to be in sync with the youth and with the rising uh, new form of journalism, technology journalism has not been in the Arab world. It has not been for long. Technology journalism and the hype that follows startups—it's all—it's all amplified by the media. Uh, so th- that's just to give you, uh, uh, you know, a view of uh, a small view of uh how technology shapes uh, how journalism and technology journalism shapes everything we see and hear about startups and the hype that follows them uh, and um, so when when i was at uh, al nahar my uh, pred- 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 this is, uh, My former colleague, who had uh, left Al-Nahar, he had started Startup City with the aim of, as you say, highlighting uh, um, innovative startups and promising youth. And uh, he had left, and I picked up after him, becoming uh, editor of the section. But I received huge support from the editors, the editor-in-chief, Lies Sa'ar, he uh, actually encouraged that startups be covered and he really was excited about my technology background he had never had a technology uh, reporter or reporting on field for Nahar. and so uh, yeah uh, the, the, you ask the second question why has there not been why has there not been uh, uh, an index an index to track, track uh, startups well arabnet tried to do something is. similar to that yes tell me so
0: so they so arabnet were tracking current startups that are operating yes, or not yes
1: they were tracking they were doing actually more like a generic database of startups a general database for startups uh, that where that have launched, but they did not follow up with them. If they were the idea of the directory was to follow up with these startups and to um to follow up if they are still functioning or not, and that did not happen because uh, ArabNet just got busy with other projects. No one really emphasized the importance of having an index that. Uh, having an index that uh, um, categorizes the startups according to their status, although that is much needed. And that is why ArabNet is the only uh, company that produces reports. Their latest report, uh, I forgot what it was called, but it was something about the state of the startups after the inflation. These two, three years were pretty rough on the startups, as you know. So they, they keep up, what I'm trying to say is that they keep up with uh, what's happening and they try to provide local support through reports that are available to anyone in the ecosystem. Um, uh, and that's, that's, they're, they're the only ones I know that do such things. Why, do, why don't other companies do that? Um, that's, that remains a whole different issues, issue.
0: Maybe because it's it's mostly like a
1: hassle. It's quite a hassle. You need to have a lot of contacts. You need to have a very strong communications team, because I'm assuming if you are a startup founder, then your day is pretty much planned out from uh, dawn till evening. Um, So you're very busy as a startup founder. Um. So you need someone who can uh, call you get the information from you and uh, be very efficient and very f- fast and speedy um so it's a hassle like you said but it's also
0: in other in, in other terms in other in other terms actually it's just the only company that dedicated itself for doing this certain thing
1: yes yes uh i would also like to add that
0: in, in other terms uh, because
1: other companies
0: yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead.
1: that other companies did not do it because it's uncomfortable to ask a startup hey are you still operating or did you shut down you know
0: it's quite uncomfortable but at least you need to have like a track record if a startup is currently working or not it doesn't make sense to just throw a name of a startup and then It closes down and still uh, on the index. It shows that there's a huge amount of startups in the ecosystem, even though 90% of them would have actually died and 10% of them are actually operating. So that creates this kind of like clutter on the amount of the startup ecosystem in Lebanon, even though there aren't that much operating startups.
1: Absolutely. And nowadays, uh, you only reference a startup if you are in the ecosystem and you are exposed to the, the type of startups that uh, uh, that are around you, you you know you know who is who, and you, any uh, you know anyone who is anyone in the ecosystem, and you're well connected. Then you can name drop a startup. You can say, oh, I know, for example, uh, uh, X startup. Uh, I know them; they are still functional, and I know that Y startup has shut down. But you have to be in the ecosystem or otherwise you wouldn't know.
0: Okay, so l- starting from the ecosystem, in 2013, BDL introduced Circular 331, which was an initiative to inject $400 million into the market by supporting tech-based businesses to make Lebanon a future tech hub. But well, this tech utopia that, that, uh, that was going to happen didn't occur as expected, this initiative didn't succeed because it relied on local banks to support with cash, and each bank has its own set of rules on on how to distribute, and a good portion of those startup received fundings from, let's say, incubators, accelerators, and local competitions, like uh, Startup Weekend, as an example. Uh, what's your thoughts on this? Uh, the issue, was the issue the from the procedures of how BDL and the banks pr- method on providing resources, was the issue that the initiative didn't succeed because lack of skills from those startups or they are unable to hit certain milestones to succeed forward um uh
1: your your main question was that uh your main your main question can you repeat just uh, the main
0: okay So what's your thoughts on this? The issue from the procedure of how and the bank's method of providing resources and was the issue that this initiative didn't succeed due to the lack of the skills from those startups or because those startups didn't hit a certain milestone to succeed forward?
1: Okay, um, so uh, in late 2012-2013, the BDL announced Circular 331 and injected $400 million into the Lebanese uh, enterprise market. The limit was raised, uh, this limit was raised to $650 million in 2016 to foster even more innovation, or more, "in quote unquote, innovation, uh, and drive banks to invest more uh the circular guaranteed you see the main in in my opinion the main issue one of the main issues is that the circular guaranteed 75% of the banks investment in the knowledge economy through direct startup equity investment or uh, indirect startup uh, support entities this means that when a startup fails and the banks having invested in this startup. So when a startup fails, BDL is going to guarantee 75% of the funding for the banks. So if I'm a bank and I am uh, funding a startup, I know that 75% of what I am uh, funding will, is going to be reimbursed by the BDL, by the central bank uh and so this this is really this should be looked upon you know this should not really be taken lightly um meanwhile yeah.
0: there's a certain level of there's a certain level of how the banks operate they're not going to fully cover the kind of issues so pdl is not going to cover 100% 100% on the bank's issue because the 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 thing is is that you can start creating i'm uh, gonna say this like ponzi mm. startups that that would take money from ptl fail and then all of a sudden they would file up a b- bankruptcy and say hey we failed uh you promised us 100% of the money please return it back and the bank would not lose anything so it was like a there was supposed to be a 75% On BTL and the rest on the banks, so that the banks don't actually use this for their own advantage.
1: Yes, Uh, exactly. Like uh, what you're saying is correct. Uh, I mean, to to my knowledge, yes, that is uh, correct. Um, But uh, it's it led to a bubble, really. Don't you think? There's a bubble in uh, in the system, so
0: there's a bubble there's there's always going to be a bubble in the system. yes, the whole even, technology even ecosystem example, is built
1: on bubbles abroad and here.
0: It's not just only it's built upon bubbles, but the thing is is that th- there is a chance for a certain startup to work or it's not going to work. So out of let's say a hundred startups, 10 of them will actually be, let's say top performing and the rest would be like almost getting ends meet or underperforming. And this is something that is normal in the, in the startup ecosystem world. So not every single batch is going to create 100% optimal and I'm gonna say this uh, groundbreaking startups. There's going to be failures. There's going to be startups that's unable to meet certain requirements because of the idea that's going to provide or the service that is actually servicing to, to its clients. Some of the services are quite difficult to achieve in a certain milestone. So they are unable to reach those certain milestones that they want to achieve to move forward. So as an example, let's say the medical world, it's quite difficult to get things done in two to three years. It might take 10 years to actually make the startup profitable. But if you're going to offer services, let's say, like e-commerce, it can be achievable in one to two years and you can actually make revenue. And when you're creating the report at the end of the year, you would find out that the e-commerce startup is making much more revenue than, let's say, the medical startup. So they will start saying, "Okay, these are the gainers and these are the losers. They start to re-evaluating the current startups that are making for them profit. To move forward or let's see what they're going to do and the non-profit startups they would start to either pivot the idea or give them investing to see if they're going to move forward with this if they're going to create revenue or not
1: okay yes yes indeed Uh, I uh, uh, the only thing I wanted to to say is that uh, the situation um uh, there was to go back to what we were saying about the bubble there was a huge bubble in uh, both the salaries and in in the uh, expectations of investors the rules that investors uh, not rules the strategies that investors uh, took but we, I think we will get to that in other questions. But uh, the salaries of tech employees uh, were not always uh, merit-based, to put it that way.
0: Yeah, nothing is going to be merit-based, actually.
1: Well, we, we hope for, uh, for the better.
0: No, we don't uh, th- sometimes that's not how business usually works uh, there's uh, someone on the line has to actually work on getting things done uh, usually getting merits is a little bit difficult uh, compared to actual regular investing and getting things done in but the business world but if but um, i I'll, I'll move forward okay. with this is that okay yeah and I'll move forward with this is that with with the current investments and that you start seeing rising of incubators and accelerators uh, and angel investors. So let's say incubators uh, previously, let's say like Alt City in the past, uh, accelerators, let's say like Speed and the presence of angel investors, uh, there was a network called Angels Lebanon Network, which was basically a network of angel investors who were Lebanese based, uh, trying to provide resources to the, uh, to the country. All those were relying on this circular, in fact, and they had certain affiliations with certain banks to provide financial support, while others, let's say, supported them through space as a form of compensation. And uh, some of them did offer unnecessary training from local experts, saying, okay, we're gonna provide you an incubation place, and we're going to provide you some experts to deal with and to work with. All, all of this, and they actually took cuts from the startups. So there's taking cuts ranging from 10%, to 20%, even though a good portion of those took board member seats. So some incubators or some accelerators did take board member seats, and some of them did dictate certain startups on how they're going to move forward, or otherwise they will take the investments away. Uh, Do you have any thoughts about this? And did this form of control and rules set by all of those did cripple some of those startups?
1: Well... um there were quite a, num- mm, a decent number of accelerators and incubators that relied on, that relied on the Circular one for uh, funding. And I can name a few for you. Um, Speed was the first accelerator to launch, followed by Flat6 Labs, not in this order, Flat6 Labs, UK Lebanon Tech Hub, Smart EZA, this is later, smart is a um Beritech, the AUB Zane Incubation Incubator, uh, Biat in, for Tripoli. And as for angel investors, um, they were mostly individuals who knew each other in the system. They worked for VCs. Some of them were VC employers, employees actually, and others were just uh, entrepreneurs who had become investors like Habib Haddad, whom I worked with, um, and other names. So as for the percentage of the investment that you mentioned, I recall that uh, investors' uh, share, investor shares range from 6.5%, and it can go up to, as you mentioned, 20%, which is a huge cut, by the way. It's a very big cut um now there was no regulation for this sh- for these shares muhammad they were not uh, they were not regulated and uh, uh, uh we don't know it's very murky this question that you ask it's a very murky question because really uh people don't know how uh Uh, um, startups who are new to the field, they don't know how to respond to investors who can be controlling and who can uh, influence their strategies, their marketing strategies, their expansion, their resource allocation. So there's that. And uh, this is my thoughts. My thoughts are, these are my thoughts, that uh, investors were not subject to regulation. And I leave it at that because I really, it's a very murky, I know that they knew each other. It was a small circle of investors. But I I don't know any more of that. I Maybe I will have to ask a few startups.
0: Here's the thing is that the, the problem when working with a certain startup is that the investor will take board member seats if they achieved, let's say, uh, a 95 to 11.5% uh, taking shares in the startup. And they take a huge cut when it's a pre-seed startup, not like if it's a Series A or a Series yeah, B or a yeah. Series C, depending on. So pre-seed, there's a huge, a huge risk to reward ratio. So they're actually investing on a highly volatile startup on the pre-seed area. When you start moving to series A, B, and C, you're more likely to take less cuts and provide more cash because you know the revenue they're going to generate is going to be much more than you actually invested in on a long term. So buying board member seats of, let's say, like 9%, 7%, it's, it, the percentage may go to 5% because they're already making revenue. The A series or B or C series is just to move things forward or they want to advance certain sectors inside of the startup, but the startup is making money and it is somewhat profitable at a certain level. But when you're taking a pre-seed startup, let's say a startup that started with zero funding and zero investments, they have zero cash on them, or they might have some personal cash on their hands. The risk reward ratio is very high because they're putting a huge amount of risk but the reward that they're going to get those kind of uh, investors is high. So if let's say you invested, let's say 10K on a small startup and this startup achieved to have $100,000 at the end of the year, if you take 10%, you've already got your $10,000 and you still have the shares. Mm. Let's say if they took a 10% share. So the risk reward ratio, if the startup didn't exceed so this 10 percent margin that you got let's say if they got almost 10k your, your your cut of the entire year is 1k so out of the 10k that you gave to the startup 1k is your return back and they still need more cash to operate to be able to pay for wages if they're going to pay for operations or any kind of services unless if the employees in the company agreed that they're not going to be paid for let's say x amount of years until they break a certain milestone and take money, otherwise they're just dealing with investors. So the most of the startups that I've seen in two thousand fifteen and sixteen with Lebanese startups, most of them are pre seed. Yeah, rarely some of yeah. them were v- a Series A or Series B. Some of them would pitch up. They say, "Okay, I have this idea. I want funding for it." They give them ten k, but they get a ten percent uh, cut, or they get a twenty percent cut based on the idea if it's like a lucrative idea if it's kind of actually going to generate money they might dictate to a position they take 20 percent because they think it's going to make money so they reached the a position that they'll double up their profits without worrying because they they know that the startup would exceed later on now other competitions got into the place t- to provide let's say like merits we're trying to say like startup weekend they'll give you like 1k of cash uh, to you just to To move things forward with no strings attached they're not going to tell you hey you give us percentage or anything they just say okay here's let's say 1k it's purely for you you want the competition this is yours you can move forward with this other startups and other competitions they did offer let's say uh two thousand five thousand even ten thousand dollars of cash but they didn't offer it 100 percent as cash but they said hey we'll give you incubation facilities So worth of this amount of cash. So let's say for an example, uh, you got $10,000 of support. You get $10,000 of support, not cash directly, but rather you get, let's say, renting a space for up to a year or up to like a year and a half or two years as like a a sort of compensation. So they don't actually give you cash directly, some of them. That's the, the status that's currently happening. Uh, the incubation place and they start giving you spaces ha- happened from 2016, 2017 era. Before 2016, they were giving hard cash. They would, they would literally give you cash. Yes. They don't care about where you host your place. They come up and they tell you, like, okay, you've won this competition you've, or you've won our interest. We, we'll let you do your startup. Okay, here's $10,000. We'll write you a check or we we'll give you them cash. Deal with them how you want to do in 2016 and 17, when certain startups start to go bankrupt and certain startups weren't moving to the expected when say milestones that they promised the investors they're going to reach to, they reached a position. Okay, we're not going to offer you cash directly. We'll give you let's say 20% cash. Let's say like if they're investing $10,000, to give you $2,000, just so you can move operations. Let's say uh, buying cloud storage or uh, buying services to to facilitate the startup to move forward. The 80% would be uh, incubation place and expert help, that they will help you to move towards your goal, even though some of them were from very questionable backgrounds, if they can actually provide help to those startups. Because as you said, it was a network of people who know each other. So some guy would say, okay, I can I could do uh, life coaching. They put him as an expert in life coaching, and they, they pay him money from your money that you got invested so that he can life coach your startup to move forward even though you might not actually need this kind of help. That's the issue.
1: Yes. That is um, very nicely summed up. Uh, I believe that, uh, like I said, uh, all this is subject to study and to debate because when there are uh, this goes back to what you said uh, about arabnet when there is no documentation of things like the, of uh, the own uh, the investors and their activity and uh, I mean yes we know there are banks and uh, the banks are uh, have every investor uh, cl- into retrospect in close inspection um but we we need more than that we need like a a system of accountability for uh, a a whole system of accountability for our ecosystem and um, i don't know if this is achievable after the crisis but yeah thank you for that
0: i don't think it's gonna i don't think it's gonna be actually achievable Uh, not only that Let's say, for example, you want to track Lebanese startups. Uh, now, there are certain startups that are currently operating, but they're operating from offshore accounts registered in, let's say, UAE com- uh, countries. So some, some GCC countries in general, le- mostly in yes. UAE because it is a tax haven at some point. You register in the GCC area, mostly UAE. You open an offshore account. You get people here in Lebanon. You operate them, let's say, on the tax sector and all of that and they are an offshore company they're not a local company so there's no more local companies at the current stage there's only offshore companies the people who are local are currently people who are pre-registered before the 2019 crisis that they cannot move themselves offshore easily due to certain restrictions in some certain contracts that they actually written because it's now quite difficult to move away from the contract that you've signed in it was much more easier and let's say before 2019 say okay i'm gonna move the company outside i'll sign this lease that i'm leaving and that's it now it's more difficult because they want those startups to stay in lebanon so they can have this number and we have x amount of startups currently operating so it's the contract that they currently sign it's quite difficult to move away from it Because they they got a string it's a string attached kind of contract. Later on, they cannot get themselves out of it. The people who actually got away with it are the people who did it before 2019 crisis, where they got all their money out of the bank and everything. They went to the GCC area, they put their money in, and they start operating. That's how, how things went actually.
1: Don't forget that being having an offshore company in the UAE makes it much easier for you to get funding from UAE VCs, venture capitals in the UAE.
0: Uh, you can actually get certain investment from GCC and UAE, but there's a certain trick in it that you're supposed to have mm, a UAE mm. partner. Or uh, let's say, for an example, uh, the same thing here in Lebanon. In Lebanon, if you want a to have a company or if you want to invest, if you're non-Lebanese, you're supposed to have a Lebanese partner, or at least have. Let's say, for an example, uh, your husband or spouse is Lebanese. They can cite the papers and they can co-sign you mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. That's how usually things work. In UAE, the case is that the UAE or let's say anyone in the GCC area, if it's Saudi, if it's Kuwait or Qatar or any of those countries, all of them relies to have some sort partner from this country. And there are certain restrictions in certain countries that force you to have even employees from that country. So let's say, for example, Saudi as an example, they might ask you to have, let's say 10 to 20% of them to be Saudi employees. To be able to start in, let's say, Saudi Arabia, you should have 10% of your com- company's employees mm. Saudi-based to be able to Mm. open in Saudi Arabia. Otherwise, they won't let you to actually operate and register in Saudi Arabia. Because to them, you're hiring people from outside Saudi Arabia, other people from other countries who made from maybe from low uh, income countries. Now, Lebanon is now considered a low income country. Other people can benefit on behalf of the Saudis. So you're currently benefiting from the Saudi economy without actually giving back to the Saudi economy much more than just paying taxes. They want it to be certain employees that come to Saudi Arabia who work in companies that are based in Saudi Arabia so the economy keeps moving forward. So you give the money to these Saudi people, the Saudi people will start investing more into the market that they currently have. That's mm-hmm. the kind of issue that you face when dealing with
1: GCC areas. Yes, although I do know two or three, two startups that are uh, completely based on Lebanese founders but who are well connected well connected in the sense that they have good clients and uh, they managed to get uh, their business is going well uh, because two startups came to my mind because yeah.
0: because they are from this country so some of them are like Lebanese Emirati they can register their own company no these
1: two people are Lebanese just regular Lebanese uh, regular Lebanese uh, but uh, I know that they are doing well I don't know about their relationship with investors but it all goes back to your connections I mean you know uh, connections really play a part and how well likable you are and how independent uh, not independent how uh, dependable you are uh, as a character but then again these are just all uh, for the most for the most part what you are saying is true yes in saudi you need 10 to 20% of your employees to be saudi and everything you have said about qatar and kuwait and and other uh, countries um so yes uh moving on
0: Moving on, there's as you said that there's a decent amount of Lebanese startups that did exit outside. Some of them did exit on with a huge price tag on them. So I'll give two examples. There's uh, a company called Mikey, which is a password manager that used to operate in Lebanon, that got acquired by John Cloud. And you have uh Rawa TV, which got acquired by Metal TV, that bought them since they actually did the streaming. Uh, I'm going to say this, the gaming streaming world in the Arab world, which is something that's not been seen. While there are certain talents that are available in the country, some of those startups that exited need to register outside Lebanon to be able to do this kind of transaction, or say this acquiring. Uh, uh, it's not something new. that I'm going to give an example is actually had to relocate their offices to be able to get their stock on the Nasdaq. There's no capability, I would say, to host the their stock on the NASDAQ unless they actually relocate the main headquarters to I think it's Abu Dhabi, as I would remember. So is the mechanism of registering a company in Lebanon is a culprit in itself?
1: A culprit? Is it a culprit? Um, well, listen, registration and paperwork in Lebanon is outdated to say the least and it's demanding so it's demanding and outdated outdated Uh, but uh, a more important reason comes to my mind when you when you want to talk about uh, the the culprit uh, so when, when we want to talk about what is who is the culprit or what is the culprit, uh, behind these uh, transactions? Uh, it's basically the capital control of banks. It's not the paperwork. It's not the uh, startups have been doing paperwork for Lebanon for a long time now. So uh, it's not uh, registration or whatever. Uh, yes, to be registered in a foreign country is a huge asset, for uh, uh, is a huge asset for Lebanese startups. But I really think that when the capital control came, this is when things really when shit hit the fan, because uh, th- their main asset, which was money, because. The Lebanese, they have two assets, good talents, good uh, technology, workers, and and, uh, managers, good managers. And they have their liquidity, their cash. Uh,
0: I'll actually explain. uh, I'll, I'll actually say this in a different thing. Lebanon produced three things out of it. One of it was the banking sector, which... The banking sector which was offering interest of starting from 12 to 20 percent depends on what kind of currency or what kind of things do you're putting in depending on the amount two was it's actually exporting people outside so you export talents to the outside uh, country you teach them in the education system it is rigged in a way that to, to make you a prominent good employee at a company so the entire education system, starting from schools to university, they don't teach you how to actually think or to do certain things. All they care about is they teach you how to be this employee that can get a job instantly. So I'll give an example in my in my sector. In the tech sector, they don't teach you what is actually good for you to move in the market. They teach you something that has been used in the market for so many years, obsolete technologies. That can guarantee for you to work in let's say an old company or in a bank or any of those Mm. kind of things the third thing that they actually exported so they exported financial services they exported people and what they did is they exported services so services which are technical services that they are currently using so uh, usually startups were considered as a technical service now it's mostly F- tech services as doing let's say websites or mobile applications or any of those those sort of things the tech now the banking sector is almost zero it, it doesn't provide any more loans or any kind of support or any interest at all. two, the people who fled away are not returning back, so they they went they they went outside the country they're not gonna return back anytime soon, so the money that they're currently generating from outside countries are not going to be feeding back to the to the country's economy. So the expats are not going to return back, nor they're going to send back money, or they're going to send minimum money just to support their current family, let's say their mom or their dad. No, the expats they send a lot of money. The expats. They send this expats send a lot of money, but not as they usually do before, due to certain restrictions that are currently happening from the banks.
1: Yes, but it's still a big part of the GDP. I am not sure how much percentage. It's still part it's,
0: of. Yeah. It's still part of the GDP because that's the only thing that they can actually get. We don't produce anything in Lebanon except for those three main things. We don't we don't export that much money. We don't make much money from exporting wheat or exporting Uh, lemons or exporting any kind of thing we export these three things we used to export financial services so in 2008 when the american economic crisis happened most of the u.s investors dumped money into lebanon because lebanese banks were giving you 12 to 20 percent of interest they used to position that they would throw billions of dollars and they were making revenue out of it even though the united states was facing with an economic crisis there's even an article as i would remember Stating that in, in, in the most biggest economy, it was collapsing while Lebanon was working perfectly fine. And the, the thing is with Lebanon, when you have protection rules that you don't know who's throwing money there, investors were, were like in a, in a safe haven. They threw money there and they didn't care. After a short amount of time where the economic crisis weighed it down in, in the United States after 2008 and things started to get better, they got all of the interest that they got and dumped it into the United States to buy assets, to buy cheap stocks, if I want to say. They bought cheap stocks from Lebanese interest. They bought cheap stocks and cheap, um, I'm going to say, real estate. They made huge money out of it. Some of them were able to don't care about what happened in mm. Lebanon of their assets that are going to happen in lebanon because they already got the interest they invested back after the 2008 crisis they made huge amount of cash they don't care anymore what's happening returning back to, to this other than financial services the expats are going away they're not going to return back they're not sending that much money as expected and most of them are going there to relocate for good mm-hmm. they're going mm-hmm. to st- create families there they're going to move they're not going to return back anytime soon and and the third service which was the technical services with the lack of electricity and with the lack of the internet connection these kind of services are gonna become obsolete or the the person who can afford electricity and the person who can afford good decent internet is capable of running this kind of service And it's now becoming a business model on its own that certain places that offer a 24 seven internet and fiber optics internet are offering their hot desks for let's say $100 or $200 for just a a seat that is like size of the Smackbook but just a little bit expanded. It's just good enough to put a laptop in it. And this is your hot desk. And they're making a business out of it, which is totally legitimate, but it wasn't like this before. Usually before, when I want to rent an office, I can rent an apartment. And it would cost me that much?
1: Uh, yes, uh, rents are skyrocketing in prices, not just rents, uh, staples, food, uh, medicine um, pr- and rent as well. Um, now, the, yes, uh, this is this is like a whole topic that we could s- sit talking hours about it. Mm.
0: I'm not going to get into details for it but I'm just going to say that the Lebanese economy is just based on three just those three important things other thing else is just fillers if I want to say. Yes.
1: It. it didn't help that uh, a lot of startups uh, exit not exited shut down. It didn't help matters that a lot of startups shut down during this phase. Mm, they shut down because
0: they're unable to to actually fund themselves. Uh, by the way, shutting down of startups is not something new. Uh, before the economic crisis actually occurred, there was a series of startups that did announce bankruptcy. I'll give an example, it's Bookwitty as an example. They they went bankrupt with a huge amount of cash and it did affect BDL since they were funded through the Circular 331, actually.
1: Yes, yes, actually, uh, that is a very good point that you said that, uh, Startups going shutting down or going bankrupt is bankrupt is not something new, but uh, uh, basically uh, there is one article by Le Comerce du Levant. Uh, it's in English, and uh, this article is dated in two thousand eighteen. It's about uh, the viability of the circular One did it did it live up to its potential and that it's saying that it did not live up to its potential and it lists several startups that went bankrupt uh, bankrupt uh i just read it uh, a while ago and uh, and yes uh, book Wiki is an exam is the ultimate example of a startup gone wrong it's all about the bubble the hyper the hype and the hyperinflation which goes back to the bubble the hyperinflation and the valuation of the startups the overspending of uh, startups such as spending on employees spending on rent spending on things that are not really necessary for a platform like uh, like like Book, uh, yeah so
0: yeah, the the problem with the problem with Bookwitty <coughs> other than that is other than the fact that the misuse of certain assets and paying for employees and all of that. I'm not going to get into details on how Bookwitty actually bankrupted, but the thing is that it got bankrupt. The problem is is that after the bankrupt, the BDL didn't issue much support for startups or the requirements to get funding after the Bookwitty bankruptcy affected certain startups to actually get funding in the Circular 331. So it was not just only a major blow that the big company in Lebanon did bankrupt on a huge amount of cash, but they also bankrupt and caused a huge effect that it caused like a lack of trust in certain companies in Lebanon to actually receive funding since they were afraid that the future startups will even lose more money than before.
1: Yes. Uh, future startups Uh, yes, and that led them to be, this led the BDL to be very uh, diligent and uh, more, if you want uh, more diligent, more demanding of paperwork for startups so startups uh, more demanding of paperwork from uh, venture capitals and incubators and accelerators as well as startups uh, at uh, you know uh, receiving end of the banks um, so yes this this led them to over uh, which was which was something that should have uh, should have happened they should have been overly demanding this is we're talking about billions and billions of dollars not billions it was 650 million dollar in 2016 but uh, we're talking about a, a, Coupled with the valuation of startups, this could lead to a GDP. Actually, it led to a GDP of one, nearly one billion dollars, which were in two thousand eighteen, which was one point five percent of the country's GDP. Um. So yes, uh, uh Paul Shukrela, uh, uh, there's an article in this article that I read actually in Le Le Commerce de Levant, uh. Uh, Paul Shukrullas uh, from Beritech Fund, he states that uh, since BDL became more vigilant in their uh, quests for accuracy, uh, we, so he said, he said something along the lines where we were basically funding 18 to 20 startups a month. And now we do, we don't fund that much anymore. So Yeah, what you're
0: saying is very valid. Uh, The thing is, is that even after the whole, let's say, for example, a lot of startups did fail and stuff like that, the economic crisis hit and COVID-19 started to take effect in, in all around the world, especially in Lebanon as well. Certain startups became unable to provide their services on any optimal level and they closed. I'll give an example. I used to work previously Around two to three years ago, with a startup called Jalisa, which was a, a a startup that provides you babysitters on demand, they actually closed due to the COVID restrictions and road closing because of the economic crisis. They were unable to send certain babysitters to to certain clients. Some of them were making, let's say, a certain rate. They are unable to make back uh, a good ends meet to actually survive on, which caused the company to close at a certain level. Also. Uh, with the economic crisis, the froze accounts of certain startup founders, so Zarisa's also startup founders, did face an issue with getting withdrawals of their money from the banks. They reached a position they are unable to pay their employees. Some startups relied on external fresh monies uh, since they, they might have an offshore account from outside the countries. They start sending a good amount of money or some of them did receive fundings with fresh money accounts so they are able to provide their employees for a short amount of time till they get an extra funding or till they actually got another round of funding from investors or at least for a short amount of time till they actually break even or make revenues what now the reason they would actually migrate outside is the is to actually get fresh dollars and start operating to get fair payments for their employees even though some of the founders that did move away did lose a good amount of the cash. Is this the main reason why those founders resolved to migrate outside the country and to operate there, or it's just because of the economic crisis that occurred that they would rather just operate outside and it would be much more sensible for them?
1: Well, uh, let's make a point clear. Lebanon, given its small size, was never a target market by itself for startups. It was a launching pad for startups abroad. So for startups in Lebanon who want to go abroad. Uh, so let's make that clear. Yani, um, w- There is always one or two or three reasons of why Lebanese entrepreneurs, founders, employees Regular citizens, they want to leave Lebanon. Um, now, you asked about electricity and internet. Correct.
0: Yes, uh, since it, since it is a factor that is playing is. on the. It current is. It is. It is
1: a current factor. And so. Uh,
0: um, the problem is, is that you you have now because of the economic crisis, a lot of things became much more cheaper the the thing is let's say for an example where you used to pay a rent for 450 dollars now the rent is around 150 to 200 dollars. it it's now attractive to certain people to throw their services in there but the problem is that you don't have decent electricity nor internet to fund certain providers or let's say freelancers or uh, providers of certain services to move forward with it yes let's say for an example, uh, as an example of this, if uh, let's say Spain or Portugal, the kind of countries that can, uh, that they have cheap renting per uh, per capita. So let's say for example, Spain or Portugal, where they're offering very lucrative, uh, I'm gonna say renting, they have 24 seven internet and 24 seven electricity, and you don't have to pay that much to actually rent an apartment or rent an office there it becomes much more attractive to now to lebanon as well since it it doesn't cost that much to rent much offices compared if you have fresh dollars compared if you're using lebanese pounds if you want to take it but the problem is that the two most important factors are not being brought up which is the internet and electricity
1: yes the internet and the electricity Well, first of all, most startups, they are called a startup. Why? Because they are tech-based. They are not uh, a barter company or a a restaurant. They are tech-based. So they are based on technology that is based on internet and electricity. Uh, So so whether it's an e-commerce, education, online education, a booking platform, a fashion platform, an Uber-based service such as, you know, the Uber of X, the Uber of Y, as as we see a lot these days. You know, uh, so we, what you're saying basically uh, is that electricity and the internet are the main reason or are one of the reasons that, uh, that the Lebanese startups are exiting, are leaving Lebanon. And uh, I, I just for me it was only a matter of time, because the Lebanese have always spoken of wanting to leave Lebanon. As I just said, now let me give you one example of how not having uh, electricity and internet can be a a launching pad, can be an initiative that that could help us to to launch other services, for example. Uh, If I want to launch, for example, Dalil Thawra, let's take Dalil Thoura as an example. It's an excellent example of an online initiative that worked despite uh, the political system in Lebanon, right? So all you need is some electricity and a bit of internet, and then you can access the directory of the NGOs and the partners in uh, in uh, Dalil Thawra, in, in the Thawra, in the revolution, the revolution of 2019. Not just 2019, also the more modern ones. Uh, uh, so uh, here comes to my mind this expression that there is as much money to be made from the wreck of a civilization as there is in the building of one. And so basically what, what we're saying here is that even though there's no electricity, maybe because there's no electricity, one, one entrepreneur will, I don't know, will harness, electricity, uh, harness internet from solar panels. It could happen. After all, it's a problem that needs a solution.
0: That the problem is, is that it's creating, uh, it's privatizing certain things that are supposed to be public. That's the issue. You're supposed, the government, supposed to provide you with internet and electricity, as part of the services that it's providing as a regular country. When you privatize those two different things, the problem is that the dictators of the certain service will start to play games on you. So one day mm. you might pay two hundred dollars for a ten ampere. Uh, 10 amperes uh, kind of like restriction uh, the subscription one day he will come up and tell you okay this 10 amperes that i'm giving you now worth 300 dollars. take it or leave it and if you don't uh, absolutely someone else is going to come up and take it so you're forced to actually take it let's say for example the internet the internet is because it's provided by ugero the this kind of restriction doesn't work this much. It works on other places that are quite far from Ojiro. Let's say if you're in Mount Lebanon or if you're in other far district places from Beirut, there are other providers that can have linked fiber optics Mm. to their offices and they provide you with, let's say, wires or they provide you with microwave internet, which can provide you with certain levels of internet at a certain point or even 4G internet as, as an example. But when you privatize those certain aspects, even though you're do making money out out of it, you're do moving the economy moving forward, the problem is that you start to dictate on how you want these things to move. Those things are, aren't supposed to be privatized at a certain level, or they're supposed to be a certain restriction and guides on what is the maximum amount of money that's supposed to be costing per month so let's say all generator providers should yeah. provide let's say a flat fee of this amount of money the problem is that it doesn't work this way if you go let's say in beirut you find places that offer 10 amperes for 200 dollars. you find another place in beirut offers it for 500 dollars. even though it is the exact same diesel oil that gets shipped here it is the exact same motor it is the exact same hours the problem is that this provider provides it for 200 dollars and this provider provides so it for monopoly. $500. And if you sit in that, it's a monopoly. It's, it's basically a monopoly. It's not supposed to be a monopoly because this is supposed to be something provided by the government. It's not provided by the government. Other alternatives came into place. There's always going to be other alternatives. The internet is not something new. There was actually in 2016, as I would remember, people were pirating internet from Cyprus, from Tripoli. It was very easy to get illegal internet from cyprus through tripoli and people were shipping it inside the country why because it wasn't profitable because the tech sector in tripoli back then they didn't receive that much good support for the internet compared to beirut or other places so they resolved to actually pirate internet from another country to actually get it to them okay it's not something new it's, it's, it's ideally, it's not something new to talk about it, but now it's becoming much more seen because the government is unable to provide that much resources. So the private sector is moving and saying, okay, you want electricity, we'll give you electricity, you pay us this amount of money. But there's no restriction on how much it's going to go. Mm. That's the issue. Mm.
1: Uh, yes, there is an issue with regulation in this aspect, as there is. Uh, It reminds me of the investors, you know, there's no limit on how much they can claim as part of a startup. And this is another issue here, the privatization of uh, uh, Internet. And uh, there anyway, there are many uh, examples like these.
0: Yeah. After the whole economic crisis and after people lost their trust with BDL to put money in the banks of that arising new sub economy that's currently happening in Lebanon, it is that most companies nowadays are resolving towards cryptocurrencies, let's say as Bitcoin, as an example, to receive payments instantly without a middleman. So let's say for example, I can be a legitimate business owner in Lebanon. I can say, hey, I accept Bitcoin as a payment it doesn't have to funnel it doesn't have to funnel through any bank or any of that i would receive payment from the client directly i would go on the market and say hey i have x amount of money in bitcoin who wants to buy there are let's say telegram uh, accounts that already provide to you to sell and buy let's say bitcoin usdt any other kind of currency but now there's a rising new sub-economy that's currently happening is that people are now relying on other mediums of cash And example of those are cryptocurrencies as, as an example to do certain kind of things. Do you think that this thing will shape Lebanon's economy and how businesses are going to be created and operated here?
1: It's very hard for that to happen, in my opinion, because, you see, Lebanon not only is a very traditional country with a structure on the central bank, with a centralized economy and a centralized system, but uh it's it's a matter of are we if we can't have internet for example you we were just talking about internet electricity infrastructure we don't have the infrastructure for uh bitcoin even though it's decentralized but it does need electricity and internet and it it needs uh fanning i mean if you're mining you need fans okay Uh, if you're mining
0: if you're mining, if I'm not mining. if Let's say yes. I have a wallet. Let's say I'll, I'll give you an example. Here with me, I have a hardware Bitcoin wallet. It's a ledger. I can now yeah, receive payments what that is. through it mm. online. Yeah, yeah. So I can receive payments. I don't need to mine. That's the issue. I don't need to mine Bitcoin. I just need to accept Bitcoin as a currency.
1: I understand what you're saying. But even when you say... Can you hear me?
0: Yeah. Even
1: you. when you say that Bitcoin is decentralized or or sorry, cryptocurrency is decentralized. Let's think for a minute. Is it really decentralized? Can you really do peer-to-peer transaction oh. without a third party? There there are things called
0: On Bitcoin, There are
1: things called Bitcoin, third yes. broker a third party broker uh and there and
0: uh, yeah it's like let's uh, let's say for example like Binance and Coinbase yes yes so
1: but, but you have you to be on Binance and Coinbase if you are abroad this is number 1 so you have to be on these so this is a form of centralization and also in Lebanon when you want to do peer to peer transaction if i if i have a currency okay and i want to cash it out Let's say I have Ethereum and I want to cash it out. So I have to resort to the WhatsApp groups of the community and the community system uh, uh, in order to find someone who is willing to uh, barter, quote unquote, barter with me to buy from me, if you will, to buy from me the Ethereum that I wish to cash out. So this is not really decentralization.
0: Yeah, I, I got your point. Yeah, the thing is, is that on, with other currencies, it's kind of a kind of a centralized kind of thing. You have to go on an exchange to buy or to sell or to change to a different currency. With Bitcoin, actually, here's the thing: you can achieve pure peer-to-peer, and you have non-KYC Bitcoin, which is Bitcoin that is generated without the need of a broker which is something that is pretty cool about this is that you can actually generate BTC through mining without the need of a broker at all. So you can be your own bank at a certain level. You can also launch your own payment node and you can actually accept payments on it directly without being affiliated with no brokerage or anything at all. So I can set up my own node that I can accept payments, whether it is Bitcoin, the regular, or I can accept Lightning on Bitcoin, which is fast transactions. I can also have my own wallet, and I can deal with people through my wallet and through my own server. So I can be um, my own bank at a certain level. Now, the thing that you've talked about, which is the barter mentality of of doing exchange, that is absolutely true. But uh, I actually took a picture of it on Twitter, the Bitcoin ATM that blew off at a certain level. I took the picture of it, actually nobody even knew that this ATM nobody actually knew this ATM exists actually on my Twitter I have it as a pinned okay. post and and all of a sudden people start using it that's right the, the ATM and start going I remember the buy, picture to buy and sell yeah. all of the Bitcoin yeah I'm the one who actually took the picture it wasn't it
1: wasn't Hamra yeah absolutely uh, you're the one who took that.
0: and then all of a sudden people and all of a sudden, now start people sending me pictures of the same ATM in other places. Turns out there's an ATM in Sur, there's an ATM in them. there's an ATM I think near Jbel. Oh wow! As well. There's like six machines. Yeah, nobody knew about them.
1: But who installed them?
0: Who installed them? Uh, some uh, some brokerage. Uh, company decided to call themselves x they had the machines they brought it in into lebanon they have x amount of money into bitcoin they've decided to fund the wallets inside those machines they put them in their places it's a pure legitimate business it's the exact same thing as the barter uh, mentality but the only difference is that it's completely digitized so i don't need to deal with people or i have to be afraid of the five dollar wrench attack which basically the other person might have a $5 wrench who might hit me in the head and steal my money. I don't have to worry about that anymore. I can see transparent fees and I can actually sell. Other than that, you can actually go to other countries, let's say like Turkey. You can actually go to a physical store that buys your Bitcoins and gives you cash directly.
1: Okay. It's oh, you new. mean like uh, Mr. S.T. Dot you know you know him his name starts with an S. he's a he's a he deals with the usdt uh he's a, a very famous uh exchanger do you know him
0: no and many no i don't okay. know him there's uh i think in come in turkey there's something called like coin fiora which is a physical bricks and mortars place you go to to the store it's an actual physical gift how it's like an exchange store it's basically for bitcoin you tell him hey i have bitcoin you give me cash and he gives you cash right in your hand You go to turkey a one-way ticket actually would cost you like let's say 60 dollars. you don't need to to book any hotel or anything you just go to istanbul yeah. you just pay the cash into btc all of a sudden you have cash uh, on the airport you're allowed to, with a limit of ten thousand dollars no question asked actually so for sixty dollars to go and sixty dollars back so, around $120, you can actually go buy a couple of stuff, you can exchange money for BTC and then come back. So, you can buy medicine, you can buy clothes, you can buy any of that, exchange the money, you come back and you have cash and you have uh, material um, with you on the cheap. I am, it's a, it's I am all
1: for uh, decentralization, but t- true decentralization. You know?
0: There's not going to be any true decentralization due to the fact that most of let's say a cx or a centralized exchange or a dx they still need a centralized place to to host themselves we haven't reached to the full decentralization phase to be actually fully decentralized you still need a software developer to launch certain keys and and control of them to be able to launch a DX also as well. So it's not something that's going to happen anytime soon, actually.
1: Right. Uh, that was my only objection, what I said about the decentralization. That was my only objection. But uh, yes, I'm all for you know, a utopian uh, system.
0: You can actually... You can actually start your own business in, let's say, in Portugal, based on Bitcoin. They have a zero tax on crypto, even if you register it with the government.
1: Okay. Uh, Great. Uh, My computer is running out of battery. So...
0: Yes, no problem. I can...